Good morning, everybody. Let's stand to our feet. Turn around and shake somebody's hand. Remember to pray for the sick. A lot of folks sick still. Hey, let me, uh, let me read to you from Psalm 33 as we get ready to go on our praise and worship time. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Now this, uh, this next line's interesting. It says, For praise from the upright is beautiful. That's how the Lord sees it, right? That's how the Lord sees it. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right. And all His works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It gets better right here. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. You know, everything the world's plan is going to come to naught. Because it's the plans of the Lord that are going to come to pass. Can you say amen? amen? Doesn't matter which world leader it is, all those plans are coming to nothing. He makes the plans of His people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Amen. The plans of His heart to all generations. Amen. Blessed, receiver of divine favor, is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people He has chosen as His own inheritance. That's us if we believe in Jesus Christ and have committed our lives to following Him. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise. He's Lord, help that to be our lot. That as we go into this new year, it's right around the corner. May we surrender more of our lives, of our situations, of our stuff. May we make you first everything in our lives. May you not be second in anything in our lives, Lord. May you have the freedom, Holy Spirit, to conquer us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Whatever those seasons look like, we welcome them in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. There's a nursery next door for the babies. The rest of you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Read a few verses here and then take you a few places this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you a paradox here. We need to learn how to fight without fighting. I'm going to say that again. We need to learn how to fight without fighting. And that's hard in America. Because we're we're taught to be self-made people. And so we want to do everything for ourselves. And it's hard to let go and let God do things a lot of times. 
but I want to read a few verses to you and take you on a little journey this morning. Uh, verse 13 says, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Your mind and my mind is critical to our spiritual journey. I mean, it's critical. Once you're born again, your mind has the ability, and I preached a lot. I preached for several months on that, and it's on our YouTube channel about the soulish man. But keeping your soulish man intact is essential to your spiritual journey. Keeping him fed properly, keeping him away from things that would be distracting or misleading. Uh, your mind is, is, should be guarded very carefully. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is a challenging statement, to rest our hope fully on that grace that comes from Jesus. Because before we come to Christ or being in this kind of culture, we're still grinding it out, right? I mean, that's how we like to live. We want to grind it out. I'll fix this, just get out of the way. But that's a, it's a new concept for us to come into our spiritual journey and to realize there's somebody there that's willing to help us and do things for us and, and fight for us. And uh, he says that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This grace, we put our hope fully up in this, on this grace. Now, if you read Galatians, you'll understand that clearly, that you can't live under the law. Nobody could live under the law. Nobody could keep the law except for Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you understand, you've got to tear out the book of Galatians in the Bible if you're going to live under the law. Because it will not tolerate that. And so none of us could keep the law. So God sent His Son in the fullness of time to keep the law so that we could be in Him and be made righteous. That's a foreign concept to us, right? Because we're going to make our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We'll show God how good we are. We'll show them we can keep the law. And that, none of us were, uh, are equipped to do that. None, even the people before us who were what we would call superheroes like Daniel and Joseph, none of those guys were able to please God on their own. And he says, we receive this grace as obedient children, not conforming yourself to, your for, to uh, the former lust. So being a Christian means we turn our back on things that used to be attractive to us or things that we may have participated in uh, in the flesh as uh, as in your ignorance he calls it ignorance and it's darkness blindness but as he who called you is holy now get buckle your seat belts here he who has called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct and that's in public and out of public right be holy in all of our conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And that's a challenge, right? Think about holiness and God calling us to holiness to be like Him. That should be your number one goal. Your number one goal should not be ministry or all these things you think you want to get done for God. Our number one goal should that we should desire to be like Him. And that takes the work of the Holy Spirit and His Word and fall in line with what he's asked us to do. Now, be holy for I am holy. That's a pretty broad statement, pretty sharp statement. You know, it's like maybe when you told your children to take out the trash, you know. And uh, they said, well, why? You ever get a why like that and it just kind of made you 
Turned the heat up in the kitchen a little bit, didn't it? <laughs> you could go through all the litany of why they should take the trash out. If we don't take it out, maggots will form. Right? And disease can come from that. And does he, has anybody find it appealing to watch maggots? I don't. Now, some, some people might, but... You could go through this whole litany of things, or you could say what a lot of us have said of parents, or as children, what we heard said to us, because I said so. <laughs> Ain't no going through all the scientific uh, discussion about why the trash should be took out, but just simply because I said so. Now, if you study the Bible, you're going to find all the benefits of, of holiness, but we should be holy because God has asked us to be holy. But I'm going to explain the dilemma for that in just a minute. Doug Weed is a church historian, he, and I've shared him about him before. He was in the first President Bush's cabinet. He didn't, it was wild how the Lord set him up there. But he made a statement one time when I was sitting in a, a group that he was speaking to. And he said, he said, everybody knows it's not kosher to wear a white suit and then wear black socks. You don't do that. But he said... In our group, he said, if Jesus walked in today with, white so with a white suit and black socks, who's going to tell him that's not good? <laughs> Nobody, because he sets the standard. He said, next week, we'll all have white suits and black socks on, right? So he sets the standard. What and sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that look impossible, right? And so I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning, how we work through that. He says, because it is written, for I am holy. He's asked us to be holy because He is holy. But He's going to give us the equipment we need to do that. Now, I want to read some things to you about from a couple of monks. I want you to hear these because it's important for you to understand some things about holiness. Now, the monks... And I know everybody's not legit. Everybody's not legit in anything. So quit using that as an excuse not to pursue God's will in your life. There are people who are not legitimate preachers. There are churches that are not legitimate. There are doctors that are not legitimate. There are policemen that are not legitimate. You can find that in every walk of life. And that can be your excuse to sit at home and do nothing. Or you can say, I have a God who's perfect, who can't do any wrong. He's left me instruction, no matter what men say, and I'm going to follow that. And that's what we're called to do. Now, I want to share this. I started this out by saying we need to learn how to fight without fighting. We become holy not by violently overcoming our own weakness, but by letting the Lord give us the strength and purity of His Spirit in exchange for our weakness and misery. I'm quoting a monk here. Let us not then complicate our lives and frustrate ourselves by fixing too much attention on ourselves, thereby forgetting the power of God and grieving the Holy Spirit. So God's going to bring the gift of holiness into our lives. He's going to do this divine exchange that we talk about. But a lot of us, we're designed to try harder, right? If we are called by God to holiness, and if holiness is beyond our natural power to achieve which it is, then it follows that God Himself must give us the light, the strength, and the courage to fulfill the task He requires of us. He will certainly give us the grace we need. And we just read that here in Peter. And if we do not become holy, it is because we do not avail 
ourselves of his gift. Now, there is a scripture that says God will fight our battles for us, right? Allowing that to happen is, the, is a great challenge for us because we get up every day with this natural strength that we want to uh, apply to our spiritual journey. And the Lord wants us to die to ourselves and allow Him to take control of our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's designed to do. He's designed not to come in and, and make us trophies. He's designed to come in and conquer us and bring us under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. It's not a good Christian life to live spiritual three days a week and live in the flesh the other four. That's a miserable existence. And it's not a good Christian life to try and come to church like a drug addict and get high off of it and try to live the rest of the week on that. We're talking about relationship. That's not how a marriage works, right? A marriage is something that you invest in every day. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be married to Christ. And we have those high times in the marriage. We face those difficulties in a marriage. We face the valleys and the mountaintops. But we stick it out because we're interacting with each other daily. And we're working on this daily. And we're giving and sowing into each other's life. The most important thing that you can invest in outside of your spiritual life with Christ is your spouse. How many of you listen to Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, they did many, many multiple studies about how, what causes people to be successful financially. And way down the list are things like the GPA, what school you went to. All, those are down the list of ways. You, what degree you have, those are down the list. You know what the number one quality is? The, is the quality of spouse you marry. That's the number one thing about somebody being successful financially is the quality of spouse they marry. And then there are other things on the list that you wouldn't think would be on that list uh, ahead of things like a GP. Do you know, I've talked to a lot of people in here, and it may be different in certain circles, but a lot of people that I know have went to school or maybe even higher, they've never once been asked what their GPA was. And they, they, they stress over that stuff and over these uh, test scores and things like that. Uh, so there's a, uh, the number one reason for being successful is putting God first, right? Which, and bringing that spouse that He's chosen to be a part of your life. So putting God first in every facet of your life. You do the same thing with your marriage. You interact every day. If you just go to church on Sunday and that's all you spend time with your husband, I'm talking about your spiritual husband, come on now. That ain't a very good relationship. I was sharing with somebody I was trying to lead the Lord not too long ago. I said, uh, they said, the Lord keeps talking to me and wooing me and I just keep finding something else to do. I said, you know what? If you call a girl and ask her for a date 10 or 12 times and she won't go, you're starting to feel like she don't want to go. Right? I said, maybe that's how the Lord's starting to feel with you. He keeps wanting to take you out on a date and you keep telling him No. And so we need to make sure we invest in our spiritual journey and, and allow God to do things inside of us. <clears throat> the next thing that I wrote down from one of these guys, the Christian who wants to imitate his master must learn to do so not by imposing a crude and violent control on his emotion, which in most cases don't work anyway, but by letting grace from above develop his emotional life in service and love. 
This all comes back to what the, the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit's trying to do inside of us. And every speck of your journey, mine and yours included, is designed to bring us into a greater relationship with the Lord. That, no matter what's befailing your life, the Bible says, and if I could take you back to the book of Romans for a moment, uh, we quote it, all things work together for good of those who love the Lord, right? But in the Greek, it's, it's this way. It says, God enters into all things to work them for good. And we see that, don't we? We see that with King David and Solomon and different situations. We watch God sometimes take some of the crudest, worst moments in our life, and sometimes we're responsible for them being bad ourselves, right? But if we cry out to God, we watch God step into that and bring good out of that. That's the kind of God we serve. He's so willing to love us and be there for us in the midst of even some of the situations that we create. Some of them we create ourselves. And God is just one call away, right? He, he will hear us when we call. He will answer. He will in no wise turn us away. And so God is there in that moment. It doesn't make God responsible. It doesn't mean that God's responsible for some of our stupid choices, right? But it means that God is such a good God and full of grace and mercy, He's willing to come into that moment, that horrible moment, and bring something good out of it. That's the kind of God you and I serve. And He's doing that in every facet of our life. Sometimes He allows us to go through situations to bring us into a place where He can do more in our lives. Another one, uh, there is a many people will find it uh, impossible to fully attain the likeness of Christ. That is our challenge, right? To be like Him. Unless they can transcend. Now listen closely. It's going to hit home. Unless they, this is one of the monks. Unless they can transcend the limitations of their social group. And I'm going to read that again. And sometimes that social group is the people we grew up with. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's people we work with, co-workers, Whatever. It says, many people will find it impossible to fully attain the likeness of Christ unless they can transcend the limitations of their social group by making sacrifices demanded by the Holy Spirit. Sacrifices which may estrange them from certain of their fellows or people. Years ago, I was standing on the sideline of a football game and I was in a group of guys. One or two of them might have been Christians, the rest of them weren't. And I told a joke. I told a joke that wasn't bad, but it, was, it opened the door for the next guy to tell a joke. I didn't use much wisdom, you know what I'm saying? And it was a horrible joke. And I had to back out of the crowd. And I walked away from there thinking uh, that in some ways I was responsible for that. I had a moment there to maybe share Christ or give something good out. And I took that moment to be foolish. And uh, so I felt heavy about it. I felt like I had been the one that kind of opened the door in that. Walking away from those. And you, we, know, we all know people, and, and maybe we were that way at one time, where you were different at home than you were at work. I don't expect a whole lot of amens here. But I did think I would get one. I heard a little mumble from over here. Oh, yeah. that people who uh, live differently at home maybe than they do out in the crowd 
people who live different when they're in their own community than they do when they're out of town in another community. Finding that struggle between being real. And sometimes that's a struggle, right? To try and imitate Christ when our social group, we feel the pressure from our social group. Now, I think the ones we need to pray for the most in that situation is our middle school children, our teenagers, and the ones that we send off to college. Because they're getting pressure with all kinds of social ideas that are many of them are against God's Word and against what God teaches. And we continue to legislate things as we have just in the last eight or ten days talking about legislating things that are totally against God's Word. And we continue to do that. And so now what happens if... If you don't interact with your children and don't keep them in the presence of God enough, somebody, the devil's going to see to it they're going to interact with him. And he's going to work through people, sometimes their peers, sometimes even their authority figures that are off the wall. We keep seeing more and more uh, people in education and, and in government and different places that are off the wall. They've lost their mind. And teaching things that are totally contrary, not only to God, but even to nature. Teaching things against nature. Paul says that in Romans 1. He said, Don't, nature itself teaches you uh, that there's a God and that these things are, are real. So many people will find it hard to transcend their social group by making sacrifices demanded by the Holy Spirit. I, you know... A lot of times you can't have fellowship with even your own family members. Right? I mean, Jesus ate with anybody. And I'm good with that. Bring on the food. <laughs> he ate with the religious crowd, the sinners, the, all of them. He, but he didn't run with them. And that, that's the challenge we have, you know, a lot of times because sometimes it's your best friend that's out in left field now because you've come to Christ and they're out in left field looking for a four-leaf clover. And that's a challenge, right? That's a challenge because it's somebody you love. But what, what Christianity does... Now, Christianity has so many blessings that we all get in our lives. But there is a demand of Christianity. And it is for us to separate ourselves from the world. That's a demand from Christianity. It's not that person who plays both ends to the middle. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Now, we may not get through all this this morning, but I want to get into this. Uh, he says some things about uh, walking. John says some things about walking in the light. Paul says some things about walking in the light. Uh, but in order for us to get there, I want you to think about resting in Him. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, His is capitalized, we're talking about the Lord, let us fear lest any of us of you seem to come short of it. A place where God's called you and I. Is your Christianity in turmoil all the time? Is your spiritual life constantly in turmoil? Are you constantly living in fear or doubt or unbelief? You love the Lord, but you're just messed up all the time. And, you're all, and when and people get around you, they sense it. They feel it. Because you're always distraught about something. 
It's hard to have a happy day, or at least a whole, an entire happy day. He says, have you come short of this rest? Are you resting in the Lord, or are you uptight in the Lord? Are you resting in His grace and His mercy and all that He's done? He's delivered you from the penalty of sin and death, from the penalty of the law. All that's been satisfied in Jesus Christ. Are you resting in that, or are you still uptight all the time? And why would we be uptight? The main reason we would be uptight is because we're still trying to do some of our spiritual journey in our own strength instead of allowing the Lord to do it. He says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. That's an interesting word line there because it says they got preached the word, but it didn't profit them. And the reason it didn't profit them is because he gives us the next line, not being mixed with faith, and those who heard it, right? So they heard it, but they didn't mix their faith with it. Now, John tells us that our victory over the world is our faith. What? He didn't say our performance, but a lot of people grow up, and because they grow up in America, and because we grow up in some denominations that promote that, we think it's our performance that makes us overcome. Uh Uh-oh. And that's hard to get out of as an American, right? We're talking about relationship. Relationship takes us beyond all that, right? I'm not with my wife because nobody else would have me, which that could be true. (laughs) I'm glad you won't have me. But I, now I'm getting plenty of amens. Uh, but I'm with her because I have a relationship with her that goes beyond any, any relationship I have with anybody else except for Jesus. And that's worth investing in. That's worth working on. It's worth enduring with. So you've got a relationship here with Jesus that transcends all the other stuff you've been trained, Right? And that's why I say, if you remember, some of us when I was teaching the, when I was teaching the soulish stuff, that you, we get, some people get trained better than others. So they get good with their soulish man, and then when their spirit man comes to life by being born again, that the battle's on. Because this soulish man has always had his way, right? And he's always figured things out. And some people are good at that. But there's no eternal value in that. See, that's the problem. You, you, the clever guy don't, don't win. And the smart guy don't always win, right? And so nobody wins in the end with that stuff. The only way we win in the end of our life is to have accepted Jesus Christ and let His righteousness clothe us. That's how we win. And trying to get in a place where you live at rest instead of turmoil or a, I'm going to make a new word up. You know, news people make new words up all the time, but they don't. They don't admit to it. I admit to it. Uptightedness is my new word. You don't want to live with uptightedness. And he says, uh, for we who have believed, look at this. They didn't, they didn't uh, profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. But we who believe do enter that rest. 
as he said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, because they didn't believe, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from his works. That word, when it talks about God, and here it means he ceased from his labor. Right? That's a word for us. He ceased from his labor, and God ceased from his labor. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And to not have faith is disobedience. To not have faith that God's going to finish what he started in you and I is disobedience. And not receiving that you are conforming into his image. Now watch what he says here. Since there remains that some must enter, those who was first preached did not. Again, he designates a certain day in David today after such a long time. As it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What's God saying to you? What's he saying to you today or tomorrow when you wake up? What will God be saying to you? What will he be asking of you? Will you have a moment in Walmart of somebody you're supposed to share the gospel with? This, the time we spend together in this auditorium is to equip us to be effective witnesses out there. There's where the lost are mostly at. They're out there. And there's nothing more important than bringing the lost to Christ. And the New King James has got this right for, If Joshua had given them rest then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. So he didn't give them that ultimate rest, even though he was taking them into the promised land. And that's what John Chrysostom said, who was in the 1500s, who could preach today. He was as relevant in the 1500s as, as today. His, his stuff could be on the, in the newspaper today. He made this statement. He said, It is not sufficient for the tree to remain alive. It must also bear fruit. And we can't bear fruit on our own. The Bible says that plainly. Without Christ, we can't do anything. But with Him, we can do all things. It is not enough, He said, to leave Egypt. We must also travel to the promised land. That's our journey, right? We're on a journey toward the promised land. And so, He says, If Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Now listen closely. For he who has entered his rest, his is capitalized, he's talking about the Lord, has himself, that's us, lowercase, also ceased from his works as God did from his. How are you going to be made righteous? By accepting the gift of God through his Son, letting his mercy and grace constantly work in our lives. That's what so many of these monks were trying to get across. I know sometimes we look at those guys in a, in a funny way because they've separated themselves from the culture. But some of these guys are real. And their desire, they believe they're called to be intercessors. Full-time intercessors. So you know what some of these guys do? I've spoken with some of them. They spend most of their waking day either doing chores that benefit the community. Not just themselves, but the whole community. Which is a good thing. They're all assigned chores. They worship several times a day. They come together to worship. And the rest of the time, they spend praying for... They pray against abortion. 
They pray against a lot of things that are against God's will. They pray for God. And they feel like they're called. Now, I'm not saying everybody in that situation is good. Everybody in the church is not good. I'm just saying there are some of these men that feel like God and, and women, I'm sure, in the none, which I've, I've, I actually spoke to one of them one time, but I don't know there as much as I do. They're, they feel called to be a full-time intercessor. Do you know how rigorous it would be to be a full-time prayer? Do you know how committed you'd have to be? Do you know how disciplined you'd have to be to pray most of your day? I mean, you've got to have some discipline. You've got to have some commitment. And, and these guys, it ain't like they walked out on the world and don't miss anything. You know, they're, they're separated from their families most of the time. They're, they, they've consecrated themselves away from situations. And I'm not here to say we all are supposed to be that. I'm just here to say some of these people are totally committed to doing God's will. And, and what you and I, and this is leading into that, we need to find out what God's asking you to do and, and you don't have to run around and tell everybody. Just do it. And because sometimes you'll get talked out of it if you tell everybody. Have you noticed that? How many of you maybe got a word from God by the time you got to the end of it, you told two or three people and they talked you out of it? Told you why you didn't need, you don't need to do that. that blah, 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 blah. And next thing you know, you've been talked out of it by your best friend. And he says, uh, therefore, there remains a rest, but it's people who see it. Therefore, now look at these next few lines. Therefore, uh, be diligent to enter that rest. In other words, be intentional about it. Our desire, we're not more spiritual because we're uptight. Some people feel like if I don't, if I don't let people know I'm tore up about everything, they won't think I'm very spiritual. You've got to act concerned. And then when you don't act concerned with them, then they think you're not spiritual. Right? Am I talking to anybody? They're freaking out, and they're freaking out because they, we're, we, we, we're concerned. And then when you don't freak out because you're just going to trust the Lord, they think you're not very spiritual because you're not fretting, uh-oh, like they are. Fretting only causes harm is what Psalm 37 says. It only causes. Let's say that together. Fretting only causes harm. Now, that's what the Bible said. You're not going to get anything good out of fretting. But he says, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is discerner and thoughts and intents of the heart. I heard somebody say something the other day. They said they were talking about uh, all these uh, media companies, Google and Apple. They were saying how they know everything about you. They're about 6,000 years behind God. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about everything. The Holy Spirit knows everything about everything. He knows how many seeds are in the watermelon. We've been living by that principle long before the world started thinking about it. Because we got a God who knows everything more than Google. Right? But the world don't understand that, but we do. All of us realize that God knows everything about everything. And that's good news for those who are on His side. 
And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things. Does Google know where that ant's crawling in Danville this morning? I say not. But God does. Does Google know where that little ground squirrel's running across the road right now here in Bull County? No, but God knows. Does God know where all the crows are at today? Sure he does. Does God know where all the foxes are running around in America today? Sure he does. Where's Google? Where you at, buddy? You need to get with it a little bit. You're way behind the true and living God. And I'm making fun a little bit, but I'm going to say this to everybody. If you've got somebody that you need to consider, you need to consider God. Because He's the one that all of us have to do with. Not only is He one we're all going to have to stand before someday, but He's the one that gave us a way out of all this mess that we found ourselves in. Amen? And it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. That's His will. For God is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come under repentance. i got news for you. Everybody in Google, you can be saved if you turn to Jesus Christ. Everybody that works for Apple, you can be saved if you turn to Jesus Christ. Everybody that works at a factory, you can be saved if you turn to Jesus Christ. Everybody that's red, yellow, black, and white. You're all precious in His sight. All you need to do is turn to Jesus Christ. He's still the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way out of here. And so we have a wonderful Savior who has taken our place, who knows everything about us, and still loves us. Wow! He knows everything we've done. He knows when he said, I want you to go this way. And we did exactly what Jonah did. We turned and went the other. And he still loves us. Amen. He know, every time we've let him down, he's still right. You talk about the best husband the world has ever seen. His name is Jesus Christ. He is a wonderful spouse. He loves his bride so much that he said, I'm going to take her cross, carry it, be nailed to it, let them shove a crown of thorns on my head and shove a spear in my side because I love my bride. That's the Savior we serve, amen? And so you need to uh, enter into that rest. He's brought us to a place where we can have rest. I want to see, and I've said this for a few years now, we're living in the last days. We understand that. We're living in the last of the last days. We understand that. Our greatest testimony is not going to be how much knowledge we have or how righteous we've become. All of that's part of who we are. I understand that. But our greatest testimony is going to be when the world's freaking out and they look at us and say, Why are you at peace? Why do you have peace? In the midst of this storm. Why aren't you freaking out? Why aren't you troubled? Why? Because we know in whom we have believed. Do you believe? I'm getting ready to make a statement. And I want you to amen me if you believe this. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Well then what else is there? We can't lose. If to live is Christ and to die is gain. That ought to make a. The world's going to need to see some people. You and I. That are settled. That we're not freaking out if the stock market crashes. We're not freaking out if, if Putin does something or whatever. We, we know that the Lord's putting all this stuff together. He has an expected end, and we're part of His team. And God don't abandon His team. Can you say amen? 
He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Then look what, he, what else he says. He says the powerful, sharp, two-edged sword, the Word of God, piercing, dividing, discerner of everything. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. They're all naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Everybody is going to have to give an account before the Lord. We all ought to consider that. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Woo! Boy, I like that line. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When you're in trouble, you need to run to Jesus. When you're in trouble, you need to call out His name. Right in the middle of it. I don't care if you're in Walmart, where you're at. You need to talk to Jesus, you talk to Jesus. That's the thing we ought to do first. Whenever the enemy comes after us, we ought to run or call for Jesus. That's what we ought to do, be looking for Him. Run into that throne. We've got a high priest, and we love, we love our high priest, right? Because our high priest is the one that fixes all of our trouble. We have, in Jesus, we have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, right? We have that. We also have a prophet in Christ who gives us direction. He speaks the word to us to show us the direction in our life. He gives us direction. And then we have a king in Jesus. Some of you heard me say this before. In the Old Testament, you may have a high priest and a prophet like Ezekiel. You may have a, uh, you may have a king and a prophet like King David. But you won't find anybody in the Old Testament that holds all three offices. You only find these three offices held in one person. His name is Jesus. He is your high priest. He is your prophet. He's your way maker. He is your, the, the high priest is the one who forgives sins, who fixes our problems, who heals our sicknesses and our diseases. We love. The church loves the high priest, right? We love him because he fixes all our stuff, right? Uh, we like the prophet sometimes when he's not giving us something rebuke-wise, if he's telling us something good. But we should love him all the time because the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? So when, when the Lord gives us a, uh, a, a, a prophecy that may hurt us a little bit, he's correcting us a little bit, that's still good for us, amen? But this last one, the king, that's a hard one to reconcile with. You know why? Because the king tells us what to do. Says you got to obey these commands. You got to now. The church has neglected a lot of this. The church at large, like I said, the church loves the high priest, prophet a little bit, king not so much. Even though we sing about the king, but the king says you got to do it the way the Bible tells us. The king says you got to do it this way. Now here's what's happened in the church, and some of you probably heard me say this before. Because the church mostly focuses on the high priest office of Jesus and not the prof, uh, prophetic so much, and certainly not the king. Again, the church is seeing a lot about the king, but submitting to the king is another idea. But when you go through the church, and this is sad. It's a sad statistic I'm going to give you. But the statistics out in the, out in the outside and in the church are almost the same. With drug issues and relationship problems, all that. Now, why would that be? Because if the, king, if the church don't fully submit to the Lord as king in that office, 
we forfeit the two things the king brings to the table. You know what the king brings to the city? Peace and safety. And when the church don't honor Christ, and I'm talking about obedience here. When we don't obey the king, we forfeit peace and safety. And that's, you can just go study yourself and find out that the statistics in the church are not much different than they are out there in the world. Because we've, we've not got the king in the proper place. The high priest, we love him. And so Jesus is that great high priest, but he's more than a high priest. He's also a king. Now, if you will, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. And I, I'm not going to get fully to where I want to get this morning, but I want to take you to 1 John before I quit. In 1 John chapter 1, I want to talk to you about this, and we'll bring some of this back in later. But in verse 1 it says, <clears throat> John's talking here, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, I want to say this again. What's your Christian life like? I'm not talking about when you're around other Christians and you put on a good face. I'm talking about when you're at the house. By yourself. Are you miserable? Are you fussing all the time about something not going your way? Or are you a happy Christian? Now, joy is an interesting concept here. He says, we write to you that your joy may be full. And Joshua says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if your joy is waning or slipping, guess what else is going with it? That's why the devil spends so much time to, trying to discourage us. Because he knows when our joy starts giving way, so does our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joshua made that clear. And here he tells us that he wants our joy to be full. Right? I would that you would prosper and be in health. Now listen. He says this in Third John. He said, I would that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. How do we start this off in First Peter? Gird up the loins of your mind. Keep your mind pure, he said. Keep your soulish man protected. Right? So as your soulish man is prospering, we're not talking about your inner man here, the Spirit's been born again. We're talking about that soulish man. You are made up of a mind, will, and emotions in your soul. You have a body, you have a spirit that's dormant until it's born again, and you have a soulish man that's up and running before your spirit is. Your soulish man is up and running. That's how you're able to make decisions and grow in some of your intellect or not. And so all that soulish man, and that's why there's a battle once you and I get saved because that soulish man has been used to making all the decisions. Now the Holy Spirit's inside of you saying, hey, we need to take another look at this and make some different decisions. And that's where the battle goes on, right? Jesus said the Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. So that's where all that comes from. Because when you get saved, you been on when you get saved, you've been running your, your life with your soulish man. And like I said, some people are better at it with other, than others. Some people are more disciplined with their soulish man than others. All of that's true. But that soulish man is not going to get you into heaven. It's this inner man, 
right? That's born again. That's what's taking you into eternity. And so we got to understand here that the soulish man has to maintain that joy. If he don't, your strength goes away. Are you a happy Christian? Are you enjoying your spiritual life? Or do you wake up most days and find yourself involved in turmoil? Uh, that's not how God wants you to live. Look, He wants you that you may, your joy may be full. Now listen to the next couple of lines. This is the message which, our, which we've heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light. Everybody say, God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. Now we're getting back to this holiness concept. I'm going to tie all this together. I'm going to get it all tied up. I'm going to get the whole shoe laced up today, but we'll, we'll work on it next week. <clears throat> He said, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say, now listen, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now there's walking and practicing is what God's after. Perfection, you can't attain perfection until you get on the other side. When you see Him, you'll be like Him. But here, we're practicing righteousness now. Our life has changed. We no longer practice worldliness. We practice righteousness. He says, in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all our our sins. If we walk in the light as He is in the light. Can you turn off all those lights up there? It's daytime, so it's not going to be as dynamic as I'd like for it to be. But when you turn all these lights off, it's a little bit dark in here. Look to the places where you still see light. See those exit signs? The, The Scripture up here. They stand out, don't they? If we could make this room as dark as possible, all that would still stand out. Those lights would still come out, no matter how dark we make it in here. When I worked in the mines, we worked five miles underneath the mountain, about as high as the top of the back of those chairs. So you had to lay down to go in, right? We had tracks so far back, and then you had to get in another little contraption and lay down and leave those lights down. You can leave the, turn these back on, that's fine. Uh, when I got back to the uh, face one day, five miles under there, I was having to do something. I've got a, you got a wheat light, battery light, that's on top of your head. I decided to turn my light off and just see how dark it really was. There's no lights back there. Of course, that's the darkest. You've never, if you've not been underground five miles, you've never been anywhere it's been that dark. That's the darkest spot I've ever been in in my life. When I turned my light off, and this is, no, this is how I felt, I could feel it. I could feel the darkness. It was that dark. Dan knows what I'm talking about. Colin knows what I'm talking about. I mean, it's so, it's, if you've not been underground like those guys have, you, 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 it's like you can feel it. I was five miles from the outside. Turned my light off, and it was almost like you could taste it. Now, you know what happened? As soon as I turned my light on, it didn't matter how dark it was. Anybody feel that? Are you feeling that? 
it didn't matter how dark it was, that light stood out, and it showed the way. I, I, I feel, I, if I had more hair, I'd probably be standing up. That's who, that's who the Lord is. It don't matter how dark your life is. It don't matter how miserable you are. And I'm talking to you that are watching by uh, video today or get this. Don't matter how dark it gets. When the light of Christ comes. <laughs> those who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And salvation has come not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ. Now, as the lights come up, and you can go ahead, and, the more, and this is what John's talking about. You got out of the darkness into the light thanks to Jesus Christ. And as, the light, as you get more light, you become more accountable. So God wants you to walk in all light. This is why it's so unfair for you to judge somebody else. You don't know how much light they've been shown, right? So they, they belong to the Lord. All we're required to do is I, we're not in competition with each other to try and catch the guy in front of us. We are responsible to walk in all the light we've been given. Now, you can't avoid the light and run from God. That's, that's not going to keep you from being responsible. But as God takes you on this journey, He reveals more to, and He calls you to walk in the light as He is in the Think about this. It's an ongoing process. Do you see what? I mean, I'm going to close here, but He says, as you walk in the light, but if we walk in the light, in verse 7, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It increases our fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses. There's a constant cleansing going on. You see that? I mean, that's beautiful what God is saying. He's saying, if you'll walk in this light that I've given you, and as He gives more light, we become more responsible. You're not in a race against somebody else. You're just called to walk in all the light you've been responsible for, right? And as more light comes, guess what happens? We see more. And as we see more, we can cooperate more with God. That's how this thing works. God is able to give you the victory through His Son. Can you receive it? Can you lay down your tools and say, God, come and do what you can do. Let Him trade you the victory for your misery. God wants you and I to live in joy. You can come to the instruments. We'll get back to this next week. But let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> the Lord wants you and I to live in joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You need strength. I need strength every day. And letting loose. Uh, I am, I, I'm the latest example of that. Everything I was doing, from exercising to trying to eat right and all that kind of stuff, wasn't working. It didn't fix, it didn't work for me. And there may be factors beyond that, but I had to let loose. And some of you that have been through heart surgery, you have to turn yourself over to other people and let them do something in you that you weren't able to accomplish on your own. I learned a valuable lesson that. That's the work of God, spiritually speaking. You can't make yourself righteous. You can't. Make yourself, you got to, holy, you got to allow Him to come in and do that in your life. That's a hard challenge. 
to lay your strength down. Father, we thank you for this moment right here. And as we open this altar up for those who are in need, whatever the need is, you have so given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. If you freely gave your Son, Lord, how will you not give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? So no matter what the need is this morning, because you're able to do what, what far above what we can even think or ask. So as we open this altar up, Lord, we pray. If there's anybody here that's not ready to meet you, that's not surrendered their life to you, if there's anybody here that has a need in any kind of way, we know you're able to do it, Lord. You paid a heavy price for each one of us to experience you in every way. You're our groom. We're your bride. We welcome you and your Holy Spirit here today. This altar's open.